Hey, welcome back to another episode of the iTom podcast where we discuss the latest trends in IT. I'm Cyril, iTom solutions expert at Manage Engine, and today we are going to talk about how VPNs maintain security. In the first episode, we saw what a VPN is, the various types of VPNs, and the different VPN protocols. In this episode, we are going to talk about VPN security, or in other words, what we are trying to achieve with the VPN and how we can achieve it. During the initial days of the internet, data was just transmitted as clear text or in its raw form, often known as transmitting in the clear. This data had a lot of private information, including authentication data such as usernames and passwords. To understand this better, if you tell it to a router or switch, all the authentication information is in clear text. So usernames and passwords are exposed and any commands that you type on the router or switch, for instance, if you type show run, the entire running configuration could be captured. That is definitely not something we want in this age where security and data privacy are of paramount importance. To be precise of the threat at hand, a lot of the protocols that we use every day transmit data in clear text. Some of the examples for clear text protocols include FTP, HTTP, SMTP or POP3, and SNMPv1, where the data and authentication information are transmitted in clear text. To protect this data, we use a VPN. That allows us to ensure three things that are essential to maintain data security. Number one, data confidentiality, where no one else should be able to read the information that is transmitted by manipulating the data. This can be achieved with the help of encryption and keys. Number two is data integrity where we ensure that the data has not been tampered with during transit between the nodes in a public infrastructure. And number three is data authentication. We need to be able to determine if the data has originated from the intended sender. Now let us have a look at how each of these three goals are achieved in a VPN. We already mentioned that data confidentiality is provided by encryption and keys. In order to understand encryption, we need to know what an algorithm is. An algorithm is a set of instructions or detailed steps to perform an operation. For our purpose, that operation is to encrypt or decrypt data or clear text. Now an algorithm that is specifically used to encrypt or decrypt data is called a cipher. An example for a cipher would be the Advanced Encryption Standard or AES, an algorithm that is trusted by the US government and numerous organizations as the standard for data encryption. When it comes to encryption algorithms, they are broadly classified into two types, symmetric algorithms and asymmetric algorithms. A symmetric algorithm uses the same key to encrypt and decrypt data, whereas an asymmetric algorithm uses different keys to encrypt and decrypt data. But what exactly does a key mean here? A key is a bit of information that is required to decrypt the message, usually in the form of a value that is used along with a cipher to encrypt the message. While the algorithm itself is public, the key must be kept private to protect any information that you are encrypting. Let me give you a small example to understand encryption. This is based on Caesar's cipher, which is one of the oldest and simplest forms of encryption. If a hacker captures the encrypted message of MJQQT, what does it mean? There are two things that have been done to this text. A Caesar's algorithm has been applied, which moves the data to the right, 
with a key length or key space that equals 5. So if you replace MJQQT with the letter that comes 5 spaces before the provided letter in the alphabet, you get H. H comes 5 letters before M in the alphabet, and so on. You'd get the decrypted message, which is hello. So a hacker would have to identify the algorithm and reverse it with the help of a specific key to decrypt the message. This example actually helps us understand the process behind data encryption. We take a secret data in clear text such as emails and encrypt it using an encryption algorithm and a key. This provides us with encrypted data or ciphertext. This ciphertext is shared via public networks to the intended recipient who takes the ciphertext and decrypts it by reversing the process using the same encryption algorithm with the key. An algorithm's key length or key space determines the complexity as it indicates the set of all possible values for that algorithm. Now that we've got the encryption process covered, let's go back to symmetric and asymmetric algorithms and discuss it with certain examples. So once again, in a symmetric algorithm, the same key is used to encrypt and decrypt the message. Some of the examples of a symmetric algorithm are DES, TripleDES, AES, and Blowfish. There is a unique challenge presented by using symmetric algorithms. The private key that is used to encrypt the data has to be known to both the sender and the receiver and must be shared via a secure tunnel. But the secure tunnel hasn't yet been established as both need the key to establish it. In this case, we have to communicate the key out of band. I'd have to call and deliver the private key to a network engineer on the other side. This is fine if we have a simple VPN, but it does not scale well on a large network. However, there is an advantage in using symmetric algorithms. Good symmetric ciphers are fast, secure, and easy to implement using modern microprocessors and are best used for bulk encryption. A point to note is that symmetric algorithms are still used in modern-day enterprises as they offer fast and secure bulk encryption. Let's talk a bit about DES, TripleDES, and AES encryption standards. In 1975, IBM and the US National Security Agency cooperated to develop DES. It has a fixed key length of 56 bits. For instance, a class A IP address gives you 2 to the power of 24 combinations, and DES gives you 2 to the power of 56 combinations. Though the algorithm is great, the key length is susceptible to brute force attacks. By 1998, a DES encrypted message was decrypted within 56 hours. By 1999, it took just over 22 hours to crack it. Therefore, DES does not meet today's security standards and is not recommended for use in modern-day enterprises. Around the same time, triple DES was developed. It is also a symmetric key type algorithm where the sender and receiver both use triple DES. Triple DES uses three symmetric keys to first encrypt the data, then decrypt it, and encrypt the data again. If key 1 and key 3 are the same, it results in a 112-bit key length. And if key 1 is not equal to key 3, it results in a 168-bit key length. Now, AES or Advanced Encryption Standard is the recommended symmetric key algorithm to use today in corporate environments. The sender and receiver use the same algorithm and key to encrypt 
and decrypt the data. But AES comes in different variants. We've got AES 128-bit, AES 192-bit, and AES 256-bit. AES was announced in 2001 and became a federal government standard in May 2002. It was approved by the NSA for top-secret information. These are the symmetric algorithms that one can use for bulk encryption and decryption of data. Now let's move on to asymmetric algorithms, an example of which is RSA, or Rivest Shamir Adelman, one of the first public key cryptographic algorithms. An asymmetric key algorithm uses a different key to encrypt and decrypt the data. In this case, both the sender and the receiver will use the same algorithms but different keys. This solves the long-standing problem with symmetric key algorithms in sharing the decided private key with the receiver without having a secure channel. Asymmetric key algorithms also have key lengths far greater than symmetric algorithms. It ranges from anywhere between 512 bits to 2048 bits. In an asymmetric algorithm, you firstly generate what is called a private key. You do not share this key with anyone. Based on this private key, you derive a public key. This public key is shared with the world. If I wish to transmit encrypted data to you, then I would have to use your public key to encrypt that message. In other words, data that is encrypted with your public key can only be decrypted with your private key, or vice versa. How does all of this apply to networks? In 1976, Whitfield, Diffie and Martin Hellman discovered a way out of the secure channel dilemma. Diffie-Hellman figured out a way to create a secure channel to exchange a shared secret that is required by symmetric algorithms such as TripleDesk and AES that cannot be intercepted by hackers. In brief, the way Diffie-Hellman works is as follows. The two devices involved in the communication can create a shared secret key based on the other device's public value and their own secret. This is done using complex mathematical calculations and requires at least one secret value. This does not involve two people, and an attacker, on the other hand, cannot obtain the secret value and must perform a discrete logarithm of a public value that is computationally infeasible. So using Diffie-Hellman, symmetric key algorithms such as TripleDesk and AES can establish a shared key securely over the internet so that hackers cannot sniff out this information using public key cryptography or private and public keys. To quickly sum it up, asymmetric key algorithms use a public-private key pair to encrypt and decrypt data. They also offer better key lengths as opposed to symmetric algorithms that use the same key to encrypt and decrypt a message. An asymmetric key algorithm is used in VPNs today to help generate shared keys and are also used for other things like authentication, which I'm going to discuss in a moment. Symmetric key algorithms such as AES are used for bulk encryption of data. Now moving on to data integrity. In order to provide data integrity to ensure that the data has not been tampered with during transit in VPNs, we use hashing algorithms, also known as trapdoor or message digest. These are one-way algorithms unlike encryption algorithms that can be reversed. Hashing algorithms convert data of arbitrary length into a fixed-length hash, for example MD5 or SHA, 
MD5 hashing returns a 128-bit value irrespective of the message length. You could hash the whole of Wikipedia and it would still return a 128-bit value. This entire hash value changes if any part of the input data is changed and hashing is also non-reversible, meaning you cannot reverse a hashed value to provide the original message. That is why it is called a trapdoor function. There are various hashing algorithms used such as MD5, SHA1, SHA2, SHA3. Let us discuss an example to understand how we can maintain data confidentiality and integrity using what we've discussed until now. If I have to share a secure message with you, I first encrypt the message using any of the above-mentioned encryption algorithms, for instance, AES, provided that we both have established a shared key. Now the clear text message is encrypted to form a ciphertext that ensures data confidentiality. Now to ensure integrity, I take this ciphertext and hash it with a hashing algorithm like SHA or MD5. This will ensure data integrity because if any part of the data is changed during transit, the entire hash value changes. So I take the ciphertext, append the hash to it and send it across to you. Now you can check the authenticity of the data by simply hashing the ciphertext yourself to see if the hash value matches with the hash that I have attached to the ciphertext. If these hashes are the same, then the data has not been tampered with during transit. However, if a hacker intercepts my message and provides a different ciphertext with a different hash to you, you have no way of knowing it. In order to avoid that, we use something called the Hash Message Authentication Code or HMAC. In this, we use a shared key that is known only to the both of us along with the ciphertext while hashing it using MD5 or SHA variants. This deters hackers from intercepting and replacing messages as they do not know the secret key. If they do replace the information, you will know by simply hashing the ciphertext with the shared key as the hash provided in the tampered data will not match with the hash obtained using the ciphertext and secret key in tandem. Now the third goal to accomplish is authentication. In this, we need to know if the data received is the same data that was sent and that the claimed sender is in fact the actual sender. This goes beyond validating the source attempting to access a service during initial logon. You should also validate the source has not been replaced by an attacking host in the course of the conversation, also known as session hijacking. There are two types of authentication we can use to determine this. Number one is a pre-shared key, which is a secret key value that is entered into each peer manually and is used to authenticate the peer. Or we could use RSA signatures, which encrypts a hash using a private key. Let me elaborate on that a bit. If I want to authenticate you using a pre-shared key, I'd have to inform you of the pre-shared key out of band. I then encrypt my message using the Diffie-Hellman shared key that we both arrived at to create a ciphertext and then hash it along with our pre-shared key and other information related to IPsec, which is my preferred VPN protocol. I then attach that hash to a packet that carries my identification information. Now you can use my ciphertext along with the pre-shared key that we communicated out of band to arrive at a local hash. You can now compare this hash to the hash that I have sent with my ciphertext. If it matches, we'll know that the data is actually from me. If the hashes are different, you'll know that I do not have the correct pre-shared key and that I am a hacker who has hijacked the session 
and therefore the VPN is not set up. The next option is to use a digital signature to authenticate each other. Digital signatures have multiple advantages including the automatic exchange of keys without the need to program static authentication keys on multiple devices. This improves the scalability of authenticating using this information. The key lengths are also greater as pre-shared keys need to be changed on a regular basis to ensure security. There is also another advantage in using digital signatures known as non-repudiation, which means that you cannot deny being in a conversation as you are the only person who has your private key. So if you want to authenticate using this method, I'd encrypt my message with any of the symmetric or asymmetric protocols that we discussed earlier along with the Diffie-Hellman shared key, my session ID and other information for IPsec. I then hash it and sign this hash by encrypting it with my private key that only I have. Remember, no one else has my private key. This is what's known as a digital signature. So a digital signature is created when information is encrypted using a private key. Do remember that you can only decrypt this message using my public key. So to verify if I was the one who sent you the message, you can take my public key that I have shared with you already to decrypt the hash that I have attached with my message. Now you can use the attached ciphertext to derive a local hash and compare it to the hash that you got after decrypting the hash that I encrypted with my private key. If the hashes match, you have determined the authenticity of my message and my identity. There is however a major stumbling block in using digital signatures. A hacker can intercept my initial communication in which I share my public key and replace it with his own public key. If he does likewise to the encrypted message that follows and replaces it, you'd assume that the message is from me. In this case, we need a mechanism to prove that I am who I claim I am. This is where a certification authority comes into the picture. You can say that the certification authority is a trusted third party who verifies my public key and some of my private information and hashes it with their private key to issue a certificate that I can share with you. You do the same to get yourself a certificate that you can share with me so that we both know that the shared public key belongs to the right person. This infrastructure is known as the Public Key Infrastructure or PKI and relies on businesses trusting the certification authority. To set up a VPN between us, we exchange our certificates in the same token to verify our identities, following which the VPN tunnel is established. With that, we've concluded our topics for today. To quickly summarize, we spoke about the goals of using a VPN, namely data confidentiality, integrity, and data authentication. We also discussed how these goals are achieved with the help of encryption, hashing, and certification authorities to ensure security in VPNs. In the next episode of our podcast, we shall discuss the need to monitor VPNs, the metrics that you have to be on the lookout for, and how to improve VPN performance by optimizing the bandwidth. This podcast is brought to you by Manage Engine's ITOM Solutions team. You can head on over to manageengine.com slash ITOM and check out all of our solutions to manage your IT. Whether it's a small business or a large enterprise, we have all the right solutions for your IT problems. Thanks for joining and stay tuned. Bye-bye.